Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. I don't know about you, but it's episode 22. Welcome back to East Meets West here on the Eat Sleep Super HB Treat Podcasting Network. This is the, well, it's supposed to be a monthly show. I don't think we had a show in July where we round up everything going on in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling and sometimes working references to pop culture things that shouldn't go on a Japan wrestling show. Should have heard us managed to get three Space Guild references into the one show. It was a hell of a time. So... I am your host for today, Scott McLeod, joined, as I am always, with the Taguchi to my master, Walter. We are ESSR's resident ass, ass masters, almost all the same It's Grammy Garoppi. That's brilliant, I like that one. Yes, we are the ass masters. <laughs> well, I, I honestly, if they ever do it like a tag team draft situation again, and we get a team together, that will be our team name for the draft. Absolutely, 100%. Uh, and I think it'll separate the people who watch, who listen to this show on the podcast from the people who don't. But as I was saying, Grant, like, I think our last show was not long after Dominion uh, and sometime in late June. I think the main reason we didn't really do a show in July is that the main thing we should was worth talking about was the, the Tokyo Dome show, which kept getting moving, eventually happened at the end of July. But in the process of, like, waiting for that to happen and arranging this show. So much has happened, not just with the Dome, but around it with the Summer Struggle Tour, with the Bushy eventually being declared like unfit to compete at the Dome. And also, we're going to say that to the right at the end, but the American side, just it seems like we're saying this every, every episode, but just more stuff keeps happening on the American side of things. Yeah, the American side is getting more and more stacked to the point where I'm actually starting to agree with a few people that I think the American side is starting to take over the Japanese side and, and being fresh and fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had a real shaky start to it, but I think what's benefited is the them allowing crowds back with the uh, resurgence next week. Now I'll have a crowd and they're already selling tickets for upcoming strong tapings. So I think that is going what they've been doing the last couple is going to entice people to come in because of the forbidden door and who could possibly show up and then New Japan Strong is going to be off to the races but we've got that to come later on but the main thing to talk about first uh, to start off with is summer struggle it's kind of separated into two parts on either side of the Tokyo Dome so we'll start with the first the road to the dome you know summer struggle part one if you will the first major shows were the two nights in Sapporo on the 10th and 11th of July. The main event of night one saw El Desperado retaining his IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship over Taichi Ishimori. And going into it, they were talking about how New York, these guys have great records uh, singles-wise. I think 7-2 and two was seven and two was Ishimori's record and 8-3 and 
three or eight and two was Desperado's singles record going into that, and it said that the reason Desperado had the uh, one win over one one more than Ishimori was he beat him in the best of Super Junior, so it's coming back to that. And it was a it was a very solid match, I thought. Grant, you know, the main event always oh, good to see the juniors in the main event. You had Hiromu on commentary watching it, and then you had both of them basically like Ishimori going after the shoulder Desperado and. That's probably going to have to lay both of them sitting up for their for their signature submissions. Yeah, these two have fantastic chemistry, and it it, it, it did play into the kind of the way you'd expect it to be, which was Desperado was the powerhouse, Ishimori was the the speed demon, and the the two of them, the styles go really well. They've they've never been shy of having a great match, and I think they they deserve that main event spot. Mm-hmm. Desperado's reign being one of the, one of the best junior heavyweight reigns I think in recent years, and uninterrupted by by injury, which is a, a relief. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean the the match itself was wow well, well, to an extent not not too different from some of their previous encounters. It still is a solid one, and it's not been it's they've not went to the well with us too many times like they have other matches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this would have only came around. Singles wise, if they were in the Super Juniors at the same time, because obviously they faced off quite a few times as in tag team format, you know, with uh, them with Karamar and Desperado kind of swapping the belts back and forth with ELP and uh, Ishimori with kind of Rapungi TK in the middle as well. So, obviously, singles wise, they've not gone to this well too much. I agree with you, which made it feel fresh in points. You had Ishimori trying to get the counter out win at one point, but as soon as Desperado got back in, he had, had him getting the 450. Onto his on his back, and the fact that they're both heels, they're both trying to out shenanigan the other. They were both when the referee wasn't was wasn't looking, they were both getting low blows on each other. Uh, but despite not despite going for submissions constantly in the match, you had the match ending via pinfall after Elder Spiro hits the right hand to the jaw of Ishimori, hits uh, Pinchy Loco not once but twice to properly like put Ishimori away, which I think is a good way for this day end because you know having hit the finisher twice it keeps Ishimori strong as one half of the junior tag team champions especially given that he and El Fantasma had a defence coming up poor Desperado you know he didn't have much time to uh, we'll talk about this match later on but he didn't have much time to rest because before he could even do his post-match promo you had uh, Robbie Eagles coming up on the Tron making a challenge yeah that was a nice surprise like I, I did not see that challenge coming at all so that was actually a really refreshing change. I was like, oh yeah, shit, I forgot we actually have Robbie Eagles as part of this promotion. He's just not wrestled there for a long time because of this pandemic. We remember he was in the, the Super Juniors, but I think he disappeared after that and hasn't been able to come back since. And I think we may have mentioned it a few episodes, like, where the hell is Robbie Eagles buggered off to? Because it seemed like Australia and everything was ahead of the pandemic, but then things have picked up there again, which is unfortunate for him and the likes of uh, Gino. Gino was maybe on a couple of shows for English commentary, but wasn't able to do it which is always sad especially shows that Doki's on but that, that made they set up the match for the Tokyo Dome between Eagles and Desperado which is funny to see but uh, we'll get to that later on but you know Desperado again with this match uh, what another strong performance as champion uh, Kevin Kelly and Chris Jarman were mentioning like the last six months or so nobody in New Japan probably had the better last six months than Desperado and it's hard to argue with that maybe Shingo could be argued in a way as well, but you know he and he and Desperado and Shingo, I think, have the had the best like year so far. 
Aye, it's hard to really argue. I, I think Desperado perhaps slightly edges it in the fact that whereas Shingo technically lost and then got the belt by the unfortunate injury of Will Osprey, Desperado has kind of got the belt on his own merit to an extent. Uh-huh. Nothing against Shingo, like, because we know that I, I'm a huge fan of Shingo. But if I'm just arguing it down to that little bitty, bittiness, that's how Desperado ekes it just by a by a nose, by a by a ball here as a measurement would be. Yeah, I think Singles had a few more big big losses, and uh, this year, you know, not only to the uh, Osprey, but also to when he lost to Tanahashi, uh, when he when he had to drop the Never Title. Whereas I think the main loss singles wise that Desperado's taken uh, up until this point had been the match against the Bushi. Uh, uh, like a 2021 that is he, that lost that match against the Bushi at the the uh, anniversary show but you know we'll come back, circle back to him later on but because Bushi wasn't on the, the shows because he was he had pneumonia we believe I think yeah, Thursday thought it was a reaction to his, his vaccine uh, they were still hoping that he even the days leading up to the dome that he would be able to compete but unfortunately that was not the case but it circled around some matches they had to be changed around and Master Walt, I think, was my team with the Bushi in a tag team match, but then led to the semi main of night two in Sapporo being Shingo versus Master Watto. And you know, he had a few like close calls, but Shingo in the end did batter Watto. And I was hoping for a, a Scott Pilgrim moment where Shingo hits Master Watto so hard he knocks the blue out of his hair. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I think like, your notes sum it up perfectly. He bloody decapitated him. If, it, it was honestly, I wish it was like one of those Mortal Kombat X-ray moments where when it hits and it just goes X-ray, it's like there goes the neck. What well, I was did. Yeah, he he did get a couple of roll-ups here and there, but it was very prevalent where very evident where it was going to go. They pointed out it was almost a year now since Master Watto's made his debut, and uh, other than a few like things where he's teamed with uh, with Taguchi, like we got the odd title shot here and there, he's really had a bit of a he's really cooled off. In the last year, suddenly, I mean, we've got the Super J Tyler coming up. Maybe he and Taguchi could have a play a blinder there, or maybe he can surprise us in the next Super Juniors. But nobody, I don't think New Japan's like cooled off on anybody as quick as they have Master Watto in some time. Yeah, it just kind of feels like there was a lot of build up to him coming back, and he's came back in. And when I compare him to other notable returns in the last few years, coming back from excursions, his one seems to be the most lackluster. I honestly think it partly comes down to the character. He's in ring work. I can't really say there's anything wrong with that. It is just to me the character is a little bit eh, and needs a little bit of refreshing. Give him a bit of an edge. Yeah, it wasn't the, the most even match I think because it was kind of thrown together. Plus, Shingo was the world champion. Kevin Kelly did make a, a fun point that if Master Watt returned a year earlier than he had, maybe he would have seen these two in the best of Super Juniors at one point, which would have been see, but the uh, the main event of night two was Naito and Sonata taking on the team of Dangerous Techers for the IWGP Tag Team Championships. Uh, he had Desperado coming out to ringside to do commentary because you know so you could have one LIJ member and one Suzuki Gun member calling this match, and was Malado collecting AD in the middle of it, and you know you had Miho uh, Abe and. Doki in their corner, but it proved not to be enough because after around 36 minutes, you know, Naito loves to go the distance in his matches. Uh, Naito and Sonata managed to pick up the, the win and a really cool sequence, I thought, with uh, Naito 
catching Piedra Simpson into a part of a death, uh, Destino, a moonsault from Sanada. Then he then takes out uh, Taichi with submission while Naito is able to hit a second Destino onto Zack Sierra Jr. And Zack's facial expressions sold it very well, I think. And Naito and Sanada won the tag team titles. Now, I know you're a big LIJ fan, Grant, but you're also a big fan of Dangerous Techers. So, how were you going into this? Were you split? Were you happy with this? Was this what you wanted? This was like one of those like putting my favourites against my favourites matches where I was like, I don't want anyone to lose, but I know someone has to. And I, I think for me, it's because Sanada probably, probably still is my biggest sort of like guy that I follow in New Japan. He's, he's, he's very Marmite for people, I get that. But that's why I, I slightly edged it more towards Naito and Sanada. And the sequences that were going in, like these, this match was given everything. You got big match Tai Chi, big match Naito. As you say, Sabre's facial expressions were second to none. And it just went on and on. I was like, how is this match going to end? Because every, they just, there was dual submissions, double team manoeuvres, finishers left right and centre it was just unpredictable I was wild mm-hmm. and it's interesting because like, they've been just playing silly buggers in the, the lead up to this you know the whole way they signed the contract and everything so uh, Naito's obsession with getting Zach Sabre to start the match with him but he refuses to he can still then produce solid matches out of it and you know they mentioned that like Naito hadn't actually held you know the heavyweight tie titles in like 10 years so and how like, under the radar he and Sonata had become as a team with a one-loss record going into this. So it really, that plus also the fact they've both been in main events before, really made you think like this could be, these guys could do it. Or it's like they've really been switching around the heavyweight tie titles quite a bit recently because that Sabre Jr. and that didn't waste time getting their re- like asking for their rematch. But in the moment, it was nice to see them as the tag team champions and even had the rest of LIG come in to celebrate which you don't always get because sometimes the LIG guys like to you know, go out on their own. But, and Kevin Kelly said now three out of the four active members, obviously Romeo wasn't cleared yet, uh, three out of the four active members of LIG now all hold gold. And you had that moment with Naito and Sanada holding the tag belts and Shingo with the heavyweight belt over his shoulder. But it's always nice to see. It's always, like, quite, quite often uh, you see LIG with quite a bit of gold, which is always good to see. Yeah, you got to love like when when you get like because compared to some other stables, Lig are one of the stables where it does feel like that when they've got the gold in that they really come together, and I just love the photo opportunities it always gives. Mhm. Totally. But we didn't have to wait long, obviously, for the rematch. They made the challenge for the the Tokyo Dome, uh, so the rematch was set for there. You know, they say Miho Abe was the good luck charm for when they won the belts back from. Girls of Destiny. She didn't. She was at ringside for this match. She didn't provide much luck going this time. So <laughs> maybe rethink uh, putting your whole strategy on the fact that she's there. Uh, but you know these teams were still going at it in the lead up to the dome with uh, in singles matches. And I want to talk about this purely for the fact that Sanada v Sabre Junior. Their never-ending uh, story. Uh, their match one night ended in a double pinfall. And if you haven't checked out the backstage comments for this. Check it out because you've got the two arguing. But no, no, I won. No, I won. No, your shows were done. Your shows were done. And then Zach Sierra Jr. calling for VAR eh, to find out the result. Like, I don't trust human rest. Get the machines. Get a robot referee. Robots are taking over anyway. Oh, God. That was absolutely hilarious. And the actual finish itself was so clever. The double pin was an absolute, it was a, a thing of beauty. 
kind of combining the O'Connor role with like a, a pin, it was just unreal. It was like I was like, no fucking way did they actually just do that? Did they just do a double pin? Did they do a draw? It was an interesting like way of doing things, and in a way that like didn't make people like that people weren't annoyed about it going to a draw like they were when they did the whole DQ thing with BOD. But also, it makes sense for these two because they are very good at that. That kind of a roll up the O'Connor roll so in the way they, the sequences they've done in the past when they both try to get it in their matches so I think of any two guys it made sense more for these two to do it uh, Daniel said Naito and, and Taichi facing off as well and you know you had some strong singles matches in the last few days of the Summer Struggle Tour you got, you got Evil finally getting a singles win over Tomohiro Ishii because uh, I remember uh, one of the nights at New Beginning in Sapporo 2020, and the semi main ECB Evil is the night that single won the uh, Ever Belt from from Goto. And we mentioned there that you know they told we found out there that oh he's never beaten Evil and he lost that night. And I thought I'd almost forgotten about the story until they reminded us here. And now Evil won. And Kevin Kelly was quick to remind you, yeah, but it took three people to do it because you had the usual Bullet Club shenanigans of Yujiro and uh, Dick Togo getting involved. Yeah, the, the the main thing that like I was like, Evil vs Ishii on paper is a fantastic match. Mm-hmm. Evil with Togo and Yujiro is not my idea of a fantastic match. I, it, it really, to me, they've really detracted from how good Evil actually is as a wrestler by doing this whole shenanigans thing to the point where it reminds me of the, the, like, the Elite and Omega at the moment. It always ends with interference from the other two and it's really, it's really grating on me. Yeah, and I think one of the funny things about watching Evil's match is just how done with it Kevin Kelly is, and how he just basically shits on Evil for inter- for, for relying on interference. But uh, a better uh, match, the main event of uh, that last night of Summer Struggle was Tanahashi taking on Kenta, and a match that you know you were you had told me something that you expect something big happening before I'd watched it, and then as soon as I saw Shibata sitting on commentary, I'm like. He, he's not going to get involved, is he? And I remember he and Kenta you know, like mouthing off each other and like he's not. And then somehow Kenta still has that IWGP US briefcase despite the fact he had his title shot and he lost. But that thing is all battered up, broken. He tried to use it again, but uh, Shibata gets involved, you know, getting more physical than we we have. You've seen him since I think that time at the uh, the G1 final when Kenta joined Bullet Club and. I'm sure, also for a lot of people, this caused this caused people to lose their shit. I, I, I was losing my shit. There. I was like, "Oh my god, he's giving them the receipt. That's two years fucking due." Yes, come on, Shabbat. The only thing I'm now, I'm now like, Shabbat done something physical again. Mm-hmm. One more match. One more match. Come on, one more. I know, and it does seem like a random place at the final night of like this tour before you do your like main Tokyo Dome show. Um, one thing I'll say about surely you could have done this kind of moment on a bigger stage, something like that. Uh, maybe if Ken had a match at the Tokyo Dome, you could have done something like this. Because I remember there were people who who really thought when Ken fought Koto at Wrestle Kingdom 14, a lot of people were so sure that Shibata was going to show up because he and Koto have a relationship, you know, former tag champs and everything. Everybody thought that was going to happen. I don't know. And then it finally happens here. And seemingly the purpose of this was to get Tanashi a big win towards the end of the tour so he could stake his claim to 
take Jager Bushy's place in the, the main event of Tokyo Dome because by that point it seemed guaranteed that yeah he's not going to be able to make it. And then that ended up happening. It made Shingo versus Tanahashi was the main event of Wrestle Grand Slam. What were your thoughts of Tanahashi? Not without talking about the match because we'll get to that. What are your thoughts on this match between him and Kent and what do you think of him as a choice of replacement? I actually felt the match was really, really good. Um, in, in my mind, I would have liked Kenta to win it, but it, I also see Kenta as a future heavyweight champion. And I feel it would be too soon to give him an take take it away from Shingo at this point. So I feel they've done the wise thing. Kenta takes the loss here. It's It still looked really solid. They, like, he didn't look weak from it. He didn't have any other shenanigans other than the briefcase. He didn't have like other people really there to... So, and Tanahashi, you know, if you're needing someone at the last minute to go and fill in the space in the main event in the Dome, you can't really go wrong with Tanahashi. I think that this made up like 12 times his main event in the Dome. The most out of anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he, yeah. n- he never really disappoints. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they talked about it on the match. You know, it was about, I think it was 11, maybe 12 times. And they pointed out that Shingo, this is his first to go down main events. So that created a fun dynamic. Uh, for their match uh, when that happened and so we go in but uh, I get what you're saying about Kenta I would have I really want to see that single Kenta match for the title you know I'm hoping Kenta can be a part of the G1 this year because we talked about how fresh that match that was at the, the New Japan Cup and how it never happened before because they'd been in opposite promotions so you've still got a lot you can do with that match which is obviously that leaves the door open for down the line so we get to Wrestle Grand Slam and we have the, the pre-show match to talk about first and it's, it's a good old-fashioned New Japan Rumble, basically a 22-man uh, Royal Rumble, but with Yano getting involved in the uh, creative for it by including the idea that you can pin somebody, you can throw them over the top rope, or you can handcuff them to the barricade or the ropes and they're officially eliminated. So apparently uh, Yano decides oh, it's better, handcuffs. <laughs> and you know, like you know, it's it it, was, it made for a hilarious match. You know, probably kinky people are going, "Ooh, handcuffs make everything more fun." That's brilliant. <laughs> Fifty Shades of Yano, here we go. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, this match was, and I think they mentioned it, like because like the last Rambo had twenty-one people before it was twenty. This time it was twenty-two. It was the most people, and making the point of. Getting pinned, put over the rope, that's all good. But if you get handcuffed, you have got the humiliation of you're sitting there for the rest of the match watching. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, especially when it came into the, the final thing, I think because like, midway through the match you had like tiger, like the tiger mask and uh, getting handcuffed to the outside. They just had to stand there for ages. You had, you had I think you had four people all on each side of the, the ring, all handcuffed. While it came down to the final two, which was Jano and Chase Owen, and they're all trying to reach out to try and get involved in the match. And, you know, I think it was a good class of people like getting involved in here because you had a lot of people that were in the, the Rambo back at the Tokyo Dome. You had Chase Owens once again taking the number one spot, trying to go the distance. You had Suzuki, you had your Nagata, you had Sho and Yo, you had the six man chaps in here. And remember, number 21, I couldn't think of anybody like, I hope it's somebody good because you knew Jano was coming out of the then when I saw number 21 was Kenta, I was like, well, I mean, I know some people would have liked to maybe in a higher spot in the Tokyo Dome, but no, I'm, I'm never disappointed to see Kenta because part of me thought, imagine if Kenta was KOPW uh, original champion. 
<laughs> it would it would have been a very interesting story if Kent had won it because I I'd be like, what rules would he bring to the table? Mm-hmm. I think he'd try and make it more. Although you see, like I know Seattle's playing it for like last and everything, and it's maybe very lighthearted. But I like for somebody to briefly try and make the rules very serious. Someone like Kenta, like saying my stipulation that I choose is that you need to knock your opponent out or something like that, or like some sort of stipulation that allows Bullet Club to get involved. Or I think I'd like to see a heel champion like him hold hold it, whose serious stipulations always get voted out by the fans. Like, nah, we that's boring. We want to see what you, we want your opponent's choice because he's fun. <laughs> it would have been fun even like the idea of like Suzuki as a KOBW champion also interests me because it like what's the rules first one to die <laughs> fight to the death oh, but yeah that that match I mean it, it went on for like about 31 minutes or something like that it didn't feel it because they made it fun I love a good rumble. I don't think, I don't think you can go wrong with a good Royal Rumble you know no matter what's on the line no matter how many people are involved in it also with the, the pre-show so they're a good way to kind of you know, set the tone for the evening, but you know it comes down to Chase Owens and yeah, I know, you know the number one entrant, the Alvino entrant, and you know with guys all handcuffed around the, the ringside area, uh, but with some help from Kenta and a little bit of that freedom powder, uh, Chase Owens it's a package badger in the middle of the ring, so nobody can you know, break up the pin, and Chase Owens becomes the first non-Yano person to hold the championship. Yano held the belt all through the. the the last half of 2020, became 2020 KOPW champion, won the 2021 provisional title, and held it through the first half of the year. So finally, somebody else has held the belt. Uh, now somebody else holds the the trophy, and you know Chase Owens has been talking, you know, trying to bit smashing the belt, but redesigning it. And uh, I'm interested to see what Texas style stipulations Chase Owens can. So he's probably just going to mention a normal stipulation, just but just throw the word Texas in there. Yeah, it's like, we're going to have a strap match, but let's make a Texas strap match. What's the difference? Texas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Obviously, a fun match. Uh, I know, also, Yano is always a, a fan favourite. I know it it's still definitely not be the last time he is KOPW champion in any capacity. You know, it'll probably be like the R-Truth of, of that title, but are you, how are you feeling about, you know, like shaking half a wee bit and, you know, going with somebody else? And what do you think of Chase Owens as the, as the choice to be that person? It, it wouldn't have been my choice. I've kind of really cooled down on Chase Owens in the last couple of years. Uh, fair play, he got it. Um, at least Kevin Kelly's going to rag on him for as long as he's got it. It's going to be fun, that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And he's also been doing very well in tag matches. Since then, suddenly, you know, Chase Owens went from the guy who always you know, takes the pin you know, he came close in a strap match against uh, Yano before uh, for the KBW title, but then lost. And now he's like, he won three straight nights uh, on the Summer Trigger Tour. You know, he helped get the win for his team. He beat Show. No, he beat Yo the other night with a, a package pile driver. And suddenly uh, he's like too good for, he's too smart for Yano's shenanigans. So suddenly Chase Owens is starting to get wins after he wins the title in New Japan. It's kind of like the Yoshihashi effect. Yoshi actually starts actually winning and being putting on good matches as soon as he actually wins his first title. And we know they announced the G1, they, don't, they haven't said who it's going to be, but it's going to be in late September. But Dave Meltzer's already saying that this is actually part of New Japan's you know, ideas for Chase Owens. They actually want him to be in the, the G1 climax, which is interesting, you know. For, I imagine he might take Yoshi Ashi's spot potentially. 
I mean, there's definitely the, the, the risk of that. Um, I've seen some of the posters which are always subject to change and they had Yoshihashi on them originally. I wouldn't be surprised if Chase did take that spot. I think it's all going to come down to if Yoshihashi is still holding gold come the G1. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's still a six-man title defence to come now before then. Uh, I, I definitely think it's quite suspect, you know, with the uh, that they want to put in I, don't, I think there is going to be one or two how the hell these two, how the hell these guys not in there because you know Suzuki wasn't included a couple of years ago and there's a chance they might just go with that again with him not being included but being very angry about that and just letting them run roughshod on in tag matches uh, all the while. So I'm interested to see what happens. You know, I don't think Chase will get many wins in the G1, but you know it'll be an interesting you know participant involved and see who. We'll be interested to see who pins them and gets a potential shot at that KOPW title as well. Aye, definitely. It's going to be... There's there's, 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 there's good potential there, definitely. We'll see where it goes with that. Uh, a different look for the Tokyo Dome uh, than we're used to, because uh, the latest like, you know, state of emergency and everything, though, while the Olympics have been doing shows that apparently have been having no people involved, they're still able to still take it for New Japan shows. They had a lot of people on the the bottom, like on the floor, there are some people on the higher decks, but most of the upper levels did look very empty. And instead of setting up a big stage and everything, because I'm assuming that's because of the constant changes to the the, the schedule, like when they actually going to host the show, you just had everybody. They usually only do this for the pre-show match, but they had everybody coming in from the, the kind of the dugout area. I think they said it was something like six and a half thousand or something like that that were in the dome, and that's like a forty odd thousand capacity venue. So it's mm-hmm. it's a big reflection of how much they've had to cut things back due to the ongoing state of emergency. Mm-hmm. Uh, and everything that they've gone through, like just to get this show, like because this is only happening like a month and a bit ago, and we may have Okada versus Bloody Will Osprey, and that changed to Shingo versus Ibushi, and then it seemed to Shingo versus. Tanahashi. I mean, that main, main event of this show has more, had more changes than Trigger's Broom from all of those and horses. <laughs> there you go, uh, Zach Saber Jr. There's your next submission move. <laughs> the Trigger's Broom. Well, see, he talked about the amount of different handles and uh, heads it's had. You know, he had multiple variations for the different heads, different brushes it's had. Uh, we started off the, the main show with the, with the question of what is in. Uh, ELP's boot because you know the Gucci was obsessed with getting ELP's boot off to prove that that boot was indeed loaded and they're basically beating over the head of that that it's definitely loaded at this stage and you know I, the way the, the titles have been jumping back and forth wouldn't have surprised me and by comparison to what we've got the last few months the many coaches are a very like fresh team because the last big match I can remember them having as a team for the titles was a uh, against Roppongi 3K, like, pre-pandemic. That was almost a year and a half ago. So I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they actually won the titles here. And it looked like they would have, but uh, once Taguchi got the, the show off, he was trying to show the referee he was making the impression like he's seen something in there. But then he, he managed to hit the CR2 for the win, so he didn't even need the boot in the end. But what did you think? Did you did you see the, the uh, coaches win with a shot of one? I honestly thought they did have a have a chance. Um, I was like, this is an experienced team. Um, I would love both Taguchi and Rocky to get another bit of junior tag gold just to further cement their legacies. 
Um, the, the two of them deliver on big matches, like uh, despite the fact they are, they are kind of the older generation for the juniors, they can still keep up with the young guys. And oh my God, what was in the boot? What was in the boot? <laughs> the the best payoff I've seen yet. I know, and yet he's as soon as the match is over, he got it, and the mystery is still going. This is going to go on for a long time, and I hope it does. Uh, but because, like you said, I really thought they were going to win as well. The they've they took out Ishimori at one point, so it was kind of two one on Desperado. They had him like. I did love how they worked in the uh, the ankle lock from Taguchi into him taking the boot off as well. So I like love how they worked that out. Uh, and it seems to be like a one night thing. Uh, this the thing coaches coming back together because you know they managed the Super J Tag League and you know it's not many coaches that said the Ass Masters back together again. You know could Rocky not find anybody to team with him or is he buggered off back to the US? Yeah, I mean that's. I, I was kind of hoping the mega coaches would have stuck together for it. Um, did Did you see like Taguchi confirmed what was inside the boot? I did not know. He confirmed um, what was in the boot was a note, <laughs> and the note said, "Fuck you, Taguchi." <laughs> I was like, that is outstanding. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that is amazing. Uh, I just want that to be a thing that every time somebody takes the boot off, he's got a different note for fuck you to a different opponent that might take the boot off. And because it reminds me of that story about Brody Lee, like when the referee said that he used to he, he put a note on the ring post because Harper always stared at it during his entrance, and the note just said fuck you, Harper. <laughs> I remember that. It was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Wrestling is just the daftest thing. Uh, but the, the juniors uh, dominated the, the early part of the main show of the the of Wrestle Grand Slam because then we went to Robbie Eagles Challenge Desperado for the junior heavyweight title and you know they announced that at the start that Hiromi was cleared he wanted the winner of this match he was sitting at ringside it felt like as good as Robbie Eagles is that he was destined to kind of be the nearly man in the division for the most part well, at least for this part of his career he's still fairly young as, as Robbie and like it was leading up to Desperado versus Hiromu at the next Wrestle Grand Slam show because they wouldn't, wouldn't have wanted just to throw it together with a little build. But, you know, uh, Robbie kept going for the Ron Miller special, kept going for it. You know, they're training the submission holds back and forth. And, you know, like Robbie took some damage to his leg but still managed to battle through like a valiant face. And then in the end, after a number, number of times getting it locked in, eventually Desperado couldn't take no more. And Desperado tapped out and... My, my my mouth was wide open. I just I didn't know what to say when I saw this. That that my jaw completely dropped. Dro- like my jaw dropped at that. I was just like, wait, did he just? Holy shit! Eagles has done it and made history by doing it by being the first Australian champ mm-hmm. in New Japan. And he he totally deserved it. Like he, the match itself was brilliant, and it was a. Uh, the fact that it did focus on like the whole the knees, it was a, a story getting told with the selling of the knees in both parts, and just Eagles persevering through all the pain to get the upset win and make a difference, and also to do a shui in his backstage comments. <laughs> it does feel like such a it does feel like such a gear thing to do, you know, TJ with the match like oh it's going to be definitely next going to be. This Brad over Saroma, then not oh, roadblock. 
here comes Robbie Eagles to tap out <laughs> Desperado and making you wait just that little bit more for Desperado versus Hiromu uh, part two. Because I think we were wanting them in a match before Hiromu got injured, but then he got injured, as I said. Uh, but then they've set up Eagles versus Hiromu for MetLife Dome. I can't remember which night they've announced it for. They even have announced it for one of the nights because it's going to be the 4th and 5th of September. I'm happy for Robbie, like you said, making history. They've cast him up as a future champion, even since he arrived, because he was in the challenge. He was a bit challenging for the junior title belt. He had that match with Osprey in his hometown for the junior title, but he lost. Although I think it's, he worked all his way to get the title, but it does feel like he is a transitional champion between from Desperado to Hiromu, which is kind of sad for him. Yeah, I, I wonder if that's how they're going to go or are they going to shock us again by having Eagles retain and perhaps give Hiromu a little bit of time to settle back in to make sure that there isn't going to be another injury because he's he's had that unfortunate luck in the last couple of years with it. Yeah, I think if you've only started watching New Japan in the last like, year and a bit, you might have forgotten how good Robbie, good Robbie Eagles is because he keeps disappearing. But, you know, people forget, may forget that the match between Hiromu and Eagles from the Super Juniors was, like, really good. I think it was, a, it was one of the top, one of my favourite matches of that tournament, you know, because Eagles was struggling to, was fighting uh, to not be mathematically eliminated. So, you know, I felt like the pressure was really on him, especially given Hiromu was the favourite for the tournament. And uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to the match. I did kind of feel like, oh, he's, he's been this very, he's won the title, but Ah, Hiromu is back, and Hiromu is probably going to get the belt back very quickly. So it did feel bittersweet, but you know, I'm sure he's happy just to be the champion, and good for him. Yeah, I mean, like for me, like before we even talk about the other matches, to me, this was actually possibly the the match of the night for me. Mm-hmm. It, it definitely, you know, surpassed my expectations. Uh, so, you know, again, good on Robbie Eagles. Uh, I look forward to seeing what happens with him and uh, Hiromu. And cause they really and they really put over that Ron Miller special, like talking about Ron Miller, the guy who invented it and and everything. So it was like they're gonna put some real focus on Robbie's uh, submission hold. Uh, then we had a special singles match with Okada taking on Jeff Cobb, and the, uh, I'm pretty sure we've seen this style of match from Okada before. He gets dominated quite a bit, but then takes that surprise, you know, come back and it got the the roll up victory this time around rather than getting the money club or the Rainmaker and we soon learned that was because this feud must continue I don't know why uh, as they're going to headline night one of MetLife Dome on the 4th of September after a call assaulted uh, Okada on one of the Summer Struggle shows shortly after uh, Tokyo Dome I mean it was a good match it was a kind of a case of these two guys suffered big losses they want a you know Jeff Cobb special wants to previously sell against Okada. Okada wants to get back on the winning track, but I don't know why it has to carry on for more than one like big show, especially in the the main event. Because you know, I was I was a decent match. You know, I was surprised that they they chose a roll up finish, but I don't know why it has to continue. Yeah, I mean the way they finished it and how they've kind of forced it to continue to me felt a little bit. I, I honestly think Cobb should have just got the clean win because Cobb is looking an absolute monster right now and it keeps the United Empire properly represented in the top in the top bit. Okada's that protected, he's that solid. He can take multiple big losses and his momentum will not 
because they will find a way to get him back into it. So, to mm-hmm. me, to me, just give Cobb the win. Although, I don't get me wrong, I love the way they've done the whole, oh, Cobb's, Cobb's back home. Boom. Mm-hmm. No, he's not. Not yet. <laughs> no. I mean, given the fact that this is going to be, like, another dome show, obviously not the Tokyo, it's a different, like, massive venue, and it's going to be the main event. I mean, I don't see Cobb, like, getting his win back here. So I, I, I agree with you. Maybe Stu just had Cobb win here. He's like taunting Okada with the win uh, on the next couple of shows and Okada's annoyed that he's lost big couple of singles matches that he's lost. So he challenges Cobb to the rematch because this way it just makes Cobb look petty because he lost. And then if he takes another loss ahead of the G1, uh, it's not really going to do Cobb that many favours. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, This is one of those feuds where I think they've really put themselves into a difficult position. Yeah, because like it was fine when he lost the single because it was that was like a match of the night contender. Uh, but then these he's losing these matches and then cause, like you think a guy like Cobb like he dominates when it comes to uh, Titans, but then when he gets in a singles match, you know, Shingo, Ibushi, Okada, they had him lose. But you think he'd given him like some big singles wins at this stage. He's now signing the company. He has the potential to be a monster for you. So yeah, like, even just getting this one win over Okada to then Okada get his win back, I don't think would have done any damage in the long term. So it's very bizarre how they're they're doing. Well. But maybe they'll surprise. Maybe the night one of MetLife will go off the air with Jeff Cobb standing over Okada. But oh, you forgive me if I don't hold my breath on that one. Aye, I think there's definitely a wee bit of a I can like I'm I'm not holding my breath either. Definitely mm-hmm. no. Uh, then we had after the short intermission we had the what is apparently the longest tag team match in uh, Tokyo Dome history at just around 37 minutes so not that much longer than their match from Summer Struggle but for a Dome match it is a very long one and a very grueling one as well uh, again this one finishing via roll up which is actually quite fitting given that we'd had the, the roll up in their previous matches like that match with a double pin uh, between Naito and Sabre Jr. Sorry, between Sonata and Sabre Jr. But it was, uh, I believe Naito maybe got rolled up by Sabre Jr. this time around. Uh, again, after 37 minutes, Danger Tigers regained the tag belts. And the last couple of, uh, quite a few of the last few reigns, they said on commentary, ending without a successful defence. There have been quite a few reigns recently for the heavyweight tag titles that haven't had a successful defence. So it jumped from KOD to Danger Tigers to Naito Sonata back here and I kind of almost proved Taichi right when he said that oh Nigel's just using Nigel's just using these cybers to get back into a big match at Tokyo Dome which is kind of right because he got that match at Tokyo Dome and he lost I that's it it's, it's a wee bit of a, a kind of like it, it, it's, I think it's like the longest tag match I know that the longest match overall belongs I do believe that honour still belongs to Omega and Okada 46 minutes and 45 seconds um, but yeah, I mean, I, I get like they, I, I, they, they really like giving Naito time. They really do. I, I can't remember the last time Naito had a match which was like outside like a G1 that was under half an hour. Yeah, I even in the G1, uh, Naito pushes dangerously close to that 30 minutes. Uh, I believe like I was to do the recent question, then we, we actually found out that like it was Okada Omega for a while, but I think. Uh, Bushy J. White took it, overtook it by a couple of minutes. 
that oh yeah, it's the longest match overall, but as in terms of a tag match, this one here is the longest. Maybe I preferred the Summer Struggle one just a little bit uh, more. I don't know what it was about this show that made it feel like, you know, it really did, you did feel the length of it. Uh, I could be taken in the wrong way. But, you know, <laughs> it was still a strong match. It felt like a feature, like, it deserved its top spot given the people involved in it. They even said that, you know, the guys had talked about, well, if Ibushi can't make his scheduled like, match with Shingo, why don't we just scrap the world title match? Let's have the tag titles main event, the Tokyo Dome. Uh, but, you know, at least the tag, even though the tag titles have been kind of hopping around all, but it's starting to make the heavyweight tag division quite exciting because, uh, you know, GLD, I don't know when they're going to come back. You've got, also eventually the whoever's on the belts will probably face the winners of tag team turbulence, which we'll talk about later. And after this, you had uh, Yoshihashi and Goto coming out to set up a triple threat for MetLife Dome. And uh, that's all led to some very funny backstage comments. I don't know if you check these out. Oh god, the backstage comments were hilarious. Where uh, like um, Naito and Sonada were given Zack Sabre Jr. his birthday present. <laughs> I have given I have given you this tag belt, <laughs> and here is a sash. <laughs> so he's always trying to give him things like that. When he won the tag belt, you try and give him his email. Like, no, I'll drink that one way when we won the tag belts back from you, and they did. And so he was cracking open the, the zeros, and I, I got the. Uh, I was watching the YouTube version with the captions on so I could understand like, they it translated when they were speaking Japanese and Taichi, you know, it can be a right bath in the ring, but he'd given one to Mihuabi, he gives a Zima to Zaki and goes, No, I will not drink, you know, I'm driving. And then so you got fucking Taichi, you know, one member of the you know, Suzuki you know, the fucking one of the most dangerous tales in New Japan, preaching, you know, the the reason the importance of driving not under the influence. Uh you should have that somebody telling that to the WWE tie team sometime. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm so, it's sorry, not that's wrong. Sorry. It's not wrong. That's true. And then you had like, like Naito and all, speaking a bit of Spanish in there, and like, it's like, like, oh, and there's too many languages thrown about. I'm getting confused. I'm too tired for this. Uh, and he's like, oh, we've beaten you, we've beaten you two. And uh, they only gave, allowed Yoshiashi or Goto to get a potential uh, Titan title shot if they gave them a six man tag title shot first, which they agreed to eventually. But, you know, it's very, again, a very rare triple threat kind of still match. We had a, a triple threat for the junior title a little while ago. We had got this. We've had a four-way in the past for the junior title. So it does feel like New Japan is feeling more open to multi-man matches like uh, triple threats and things like that uh, on the Japan side, not just saying those for their for their, for their Western shows. Aye, that's it. There's definitely... There's definitely been like a, a little bit more of a, a surge into them using the multi-man matches, and for the heavyweight tags, I think the last time I remember the like the heavyweight tag belts being involved in the multi-team one was um, War Machine, God, and I believe it was Killer Elite Squad, and that's got to be going back at least like what three or four years. Yeah, I think it was uh, end of twenty seventeen. I think cause I think G- Killer Elite Squad eventually came out with the belts on that one because they I think they went to the, the Tokyo Dome. They, they, went, they went to Risk in the following year against Evil and Sonata, and that's where they won the belt. So, yeah, so that's, again, it's a while ago because, you know, you think where these guys, where those guys are now, because I think GOD's the only one still around. Aye, that's it. It's, it's, it's absolutely crazy. But, you know, it, I think this triple threat tag match is actually going to be a good bit of banter. I think, I think it could be quite a fun match. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the belt is, is going to be very exciting as well. Uh, but we're going to talk about Killer Reese. Got one half 
of uh, the former Killer Elite Squad. We're going to be talking about him later on as well. But then we get to the main event of Tanahashi taking on Shingo Takagi. Shingo did retain the, the title, which we, you, you knew was going to happen. He, he got his first title defence in there. Uh, sadly, obviously not against his intended opponent, but it was still a solid match because obviously I still had memories of how good their match was in Nagoya for the Never Belt. And obviously, Tanahashi had the mental edge because they talked about his success in the Tokyo Dome main events before and uh, had the, the last encounter he did beat Shingo. And I believe they said that Shingo was when the last person to win in the Tokyo Dome main event on their first attempt was Brock Lesnar. So putting Shingo in company with Brock Lesnar, that's that's high. That's a high praise. Yeah, it's definitely it's a, it's a major a major thing. I do believe this match between Shingo and Tanahashi is possibly been their finest one yet, especially when Tana was busting out things like the Kamigoye himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. And then the, you hit the Kamigoye and then went for the high five floor right after it. So that was the most nail biting point I think of the match because you think like. Well, you know, the high five flow is pretty protected for, for Tanahashi, but then also add in his, you know, his former Golden Aces partner, you know, Kamigoi, which is a devastating move in itself. Add in those two together was a, a very good, like, near fall. Also, I like that in this match showed that, you know, in this, like, Tokyo's own main event, you know, New Japan main event style, Shingo has adapted to it, like, seem, like a duck to water. You know, he hang, hung, there, hung in there with Okada, hung in there with Tanahashi, and now him going in, him hopefully going into uh, the G1 as the champion is very exciting to me because it'll make his matches all that more interesting because the idea of who might potentially beat him and lay a claim to a future title shot. And also the fact that, you know, it wasn't until like half, the halfway point, but they gave you, they actually took their time before introducing the idea of attacking Tanahashi's legs or involving the legs. Cause that does seem to be the main story point of his matches now, but they actually didn't go right for it. They, they, let the match play out before they went to the legs. They also had him try to take out Shingo's legs first, you know, locking in the, the cloverleaf. I think they even tried, I think we tried to do a version of his Death Valley driver from the top, which I didn't expect to be busted out in this match. Yeah, like some of the moves that were getting, like going for like the, like, like even going for like Last of the Dragon for like the second rope, I was like, holy shit, this is going all out. This is, this is big match. Like mm-hmm. they're, it, it, it was, it's a shame there couldn't be a bigger crowd for it because I think like a crowd that were allowed to make noise in that in a full dome that match would have been absolutely off the charts for the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. I think it felt like I think they felt that they probably had to deliver something obviously and they knew that they could because they'd done it before but I think they knew they had to go that extra miles moments like that to get people, fans invested as obviously they only only had a couple of days to really advertise this even though fans had already bought the tickets, but it wasn't their the main event they'd bought, they'd paid to see, but they made sure that you went away from it happy because you were, you got delivered a great match and you were single in his first like two main like and he's in the match that he won the table and he's for a successful event, he's beaten Okada and Tanahashi, two of the like mainstays in the last decade or so of the main event scene of the world title scene. He's beaten both of them. He'll hopefully will eventually get that match with the Bushy and it we know that will be stellar. Uh, so it feels like they've went, they've strapped the rocket to him and they've not looked back. But unfortunately, uh, because seemingly Ibushi's not going to be back for a while and he can't think of anybody better, uh, I just put here, evil calls his shot and all and all cats, you know, in the style of, Terran, of Terry from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Why? 
Yeah, like as soon as, as soon as like the lights went out, I was kind of hoping for a bigger surprise. And then as soon as I heard Evil's music, all you heard from my room out loud was, "What the fuck are you smoking today, Gado? What the fuck are you playing at? Evil, he's got such a shit win loss record." Oh, and he's big. He's he's why is he suddenly Billy a big box? Oh, because I finally beat ECE. And and you you you've been in the KOPW bloody six man tag scene this year. Now you think after one match you can jump up to the to the world title. Like you lost to Sanada at the last Tokyo Dome show. What have you done to deserve this other than that issue? I actually would rather see Ishii versus Shingo or Kenta versus Shingo. Anything. I could I could write you down a top ten list of people who I'd rather see face Shingo right now than Evil. No, I'm, I'll go out there. I'll say it. This is on the record from me, and we know how much I dislike this wrestler. But fuck it, Yoshihashi v Shingo. You know what? I'm not even going to disagree with you. I would actually be quite interested because I would like to see Yoshihashi uh, even attempt to get that shitty butterfly lock in with a mass in the massive shoulders of bloody Shingo Takagi. Just fucking try it. Fucking hell! Put Master Watto in a rematch for the title this time for the belt. Uh, Actually, they did a rematch between him and Master Wall this time for the belt. I'd I'd buy that more believable than Evil winning the belt. Uh, they've just like this. This is a match that just should not be happening. This is absolutely, and this is really where they're showing how much they are struggling, mm-hmm. like to, to like fill the gaps right now. Because let's say they got they're back to summer struggle, or they're putting the notes summer struggle part two. And that's going to lead all the way to MetLife Dome that starts September, and then the very next thing is the G1. So, obviously, it's going to be two big nights in MetLife Dome. And you want to cap it off with Evil in the main event. Like, uh, well, since they lost the night at Power Struggle, I've, I've personally written him off as a main eventer. I don't see him as that anymore. Uh, even before Power Struggle, I didn't see him as a main As soon as he lost both belts in Jingu Stadium, he wasn't a main eventer in my eyes anymore. But, like, you're going to write off two big nights with him as the he's the most placeholder person. I'm trying to say, he is the Baron Corbin of New Japan. There we go, I said it. And I like I Baron Corbin. I like Baron Corbin now, but how Baron Corbin's been the last few years where he's just kind of thrown there every so often. Yeah, it's it's one of those things and the thing is, you know that at the end of the day, they're just doing their job. They're just doing what they're, where they're told to get booked and that. But I still I still find myself getting really angry at them and I'm like, no wait, Grant, you should be channeling your anger at Gedo here. Mm-hmm. I mean, I said to earlier, hopefully Shingo to the G1, he better go into the G1 as a champion because sometimes roadblocks are fun, like when Robbie Eagles wins the junior belt, but another reign for Shink for Evil is, is not fun, so don't even think about it, don't even consider it. Um, single, like, don't even consider it there, Gato. Anytime he actually creeps into your mind of putting the belt back on him, I want you to please slap yourself in the face and think, God, why are you thinking such things? Yeah, it's like, it's. I'm just like, what what is it? Does he just go like, on like massive drug trips and it's like gets real high and goes, "We need a main event, right? Who are we gonna go for?" And he just thinks, "What's bad? Oh, evil? No, 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 no. That's not what we want. We, we want bad. We want a bad guy. We don't want evil. Fuck off." Yeah, yeah. I think they're just hoping like it's almost like the Roman Reigns effect in the uh, the Royal Rumbles, like when they when they used to keep putting Roman. In the final two, so that the pop when somebody eliminated him would be bigger. Is that what they're hoping for? So to get people even more behind Shingo, get the person, the last person they want to win the title against them, so that when Shingo wins, the pop is greater. 
Exactly. It's just, oh god, it's madness. Yeah, we we are here. We just we just have to buckle up for the ride. Just as as Jenner says in South Park, buckle in, buckaroos. But <laughs> uh, we move back into the summer struggle tour. It's in full swing uh, up until MetLife Dome, and uh, we did uh, chaos. Uh, Ashley and Go did grant that six man title shot as them alongside Ishii defended against Suzuki Gun, the trio this time of Dangerous Tigers and not Doki this time. But this time they decided to uh, they, they decided not to go with the trio of unofficially known apparently as Los Locos Dangerous Tigers. They decided just to get let's get let's get the murder grandpa involved. Let's get uh, Suzuki involved. Unfortunately, it wasn't the uh, the recipe to get the six man tag titles. But again, fair dues to you know this chaos trio because you know defending against. LIG Bullet Club recently defending a successful against the third generation, a very physical match. Another successful event against Suzuki Gun, and also because they're doing the triple threat, they've set up another match with the, the same LIG trio they fought before of Naito, Sanada, and Bushi. So, you know, I, I don't know if they'll maybe switch the six man belts in the lead up to, you know, MetLife to make the thing match more interesting, but, you know, you know, I'm I'm surprised. Like every match that they retain, I'm more surprised with the way they've been booking these guys six man chance because matches have been getting longer and like more physical. Like it was, I think half an hour. This match with Zukukun went. It's it's like over half an hour. Like at that thing, I think almost all of their defenses have been in the twenty five to thirty five minute region. And like you know, at first when Chaos when the team got it, I was like, oh, they'll probably just hold it for a couple of defenses. They've defended it eight body times now. It's it's really impressive, and I'm not gonna lie. Every single one of their matches with these six man titles have been absolute bangers. There's not been a dud amongst them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the match with Lig is gonna come on the 10th of August. I just checked there, and it's gonna be their ninth defense. Nine defenses. These belts. It's almost unheard of. Uh, I don't even. I can't even. I guess it's got to the point I can't even call it anymore. I don't even. I don't even try and predict these belts anymore. What's going to happen with them? But I really thought like Suzuki, especially with the inclusion of Suzuki himself getting involved. You know, there were some good sequences between him and Goto. Uh, I thought they were actually would win the belts. Uh, there was like a point where it was Taichi and Go. They were legal, and so they tried to get the counter win by having basically. Uh, they had Zack they had and Suzuki hitting basically forearms going back and forth, taking turns on Goto, eventually had to shove them off and just get back in the ring at 19. So, you know, a very unique strategy of trying to get the current one, because you forget sometimes that a current actually means a title change in New Japan. Yeah, it's it's something that I, I honestly do sometimes. I, I don't know why they don't lean into that occasionally, because I think it would be a fantastic way. If you've got a genuine feud that could go for more than one match, have someone drop the belt on such a technicality. And be able to come back going, no, no, hang on. You didn't actually beat me. You got a count out. This isn't over. That yeah. makes sense. Mm-hmm. That, that does make sense. And maybe what maybe one of these days they eventually will. And with Summer Struggle uh, on that same show on the 1st of August that they did this match uh, for the six and titles on, they opened two matches. They had some farewell matches for USG and Uemura. They had Yumura getting beaten by Okada and Naito defeating Suju on their way out. 
uh, obviously they're both lost and they're both on their excursion and you know I'm mean, interested to see what happens when they come back from their excursion because we've seen you know mixed success for Wato and you know Great Okan when they came back from their excursion so and to see what characters these guys come back as where with the current you know travel like the situation we are in travel at the minute where they're able to go are they going to go to the US Mexico the UK where they're going to go if they, with these guys but you know so the matches went kind of as you'd expect you know Okada picked got made sure Yuramir got up after his match just so he could drop kick him again and hope and with the hope that Yuramir probably comes right after Okada when he gets back from his excursion uh, and Naito even dressed up in his fancy main event suit for his uh, for his match with Suji yeah, I mean that's like the, the I I really loved the farewell matches. They they done exactly what they were what they were meant to. As to where they're going to go, though, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, looking up the rumors and that, and there's still no no de- like confirmations. That apparently, Suji wanted CMLL for the longest time, so they're they're probably going to they will probably take him on. As for Yumura. It's, could we could we see him appear in the UK? Could they appear in Red Pro like just like Shota? Maybe, maybe. I mean, where Hikaleo went on his excursion to the UK as well. I think he made an appearance uh, in Discovery Wrestling as well. So you know, there's always options. And also with this Forbidden Door going on, uh, you know, I think New Japan still have kind of a thing with Ring of Honor. They got CMLL, but now also they got Impact and AEW in the mix. You know, you see these guys popping up there because obviously when they're Young Lions, and when they start the excursion, they don't always get wins. So it wouldn't it would make sense if you saw them on AEW if they popped up on like say Dark or Dark Elevation for a little while, you know, kind of getting more like experience on a, like, a different environment. But you know, it's interesting to see where it goes, and also interesting that both matches in Vice Mix with Okada getting the one with the money clip, but Naito kind of ironically using a lion tamer for the win, you know, given that he had that feud with Jericho. I uh, know that 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 was quite a cheeky little mm-hmm. a cheeky little nod back to things. The fact that he actually used the line tamer, and I was like, "Oh, that's cheeky!" And it, it, was, it was. I like the fact that it's like when when he came out, Naito gave him the respect by going, "All right, I'm going to come in my suit. You're going to have to wait. I'm going to take my time taking this off." Yeah. Uh, I, I now I'm kind of disappointed because I know it's not going to happen given that the schedule he's got for this tour, but. I'm I'm kind of sad now that they couldn't get Naito into AEW to be one of the labours of Jericho. Uh, what weird stipulation NJF would come up with, I don't know. Like Naito will come out and slowly take his time to take off his suit. But Jericho, you have to wrestle in a suit. I don't know. <laughs> no doubt it would be something as ridiculous as that, and it would have been absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. God, God knows what it would be. but uh, Or that he has to win with the line team, I don't know. But... He had those matches, you know, and I'm sure we'll see some online side because we haven't seen a lot of Gabriel Kidd wrestling recently. So I'm interested to see what what's going to happen with him. And but the next big thing that's going to carry us through these super, but what's going to carry us kind of through Summer Struggle for the most part because we had that. I remember I just remember there, yeah, we had that tournament last Summer Struggle with the uh, for the vacant six man belts, and that's where the guys that have it now won the belt. So that's been over a year. And now we've got another tournament for our summer struggle with they returned the Super J Tag League and not that weird four team version that current like the vacant tag champs. An actual like version. Now they have six teams. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, it's going to go obviously going to go from the seven, which is today is the time recording. You're hearing this on the eight, so it started today. Uh, with each team getting eight wrestling together at least once, and the final day will be on the seventeenth of August. And you guys in the winners will face uh, ELP and Ishimori for the tag belts at MetLife Dome night one or two. And the teams are obviously Ishimori and ELP as the champions. You've got Rapongi 3K, you got Karamaru Desperado, you've got the Ass Masters, you've got the weird bullet club team of Dick Togo and uh, Gado, and the uh, almost also weird team of Robbie Eagles teaming with uh, Tiger Mask. Yeah, that that is the team. Out, out of them all, every team makes sense to me, apart from that one. <laughs> I know because Tiger Mask isn't even officially in, in chaos, uh, so that doesn't really make much sense. You know, again, Rocky is in chaos. I thought of Rocky and Eagles uh, managed to team together. I could, that could have been that would have made more sense. But you know, I'm assuming because Robbie's the champion, he's not going to like his team aren't going to get that many wins. So maybe using a veteran like Tiger Mask, who's maybe there, really maybe there to put people over, he'll take the, the losses for his team maybe. But just looking at them, I'll say the champions aren't going to win. Who who would you say is your early favourite to, to win this? I'd say for me, I think the team that's going to win it. I, I, I'm I back in my heart. Ass <laughs> Masters. I'm going with Ass Masters. They are the kind of outside kind of bit. Uh, I'm, I'm, but I'm between the so you're going to Rapongi 3K and I don't know if you're eventually going to put Desperado back in the mix for the, to get his junior heavyweight title back and face Soroma again. I don't think him doing a wild tag team champion makes that much sense because he's already like done the thing where he went after both belts at the same time. But then again, same Rapongi 3K going after the belts again does feel same old. Whereas it's been uh, quite a few months since the Assmasters got a title shot. So even though I said the outside bet, I actually wouldn't mind it because it would prove me wrong when I said that, oh, they really cooled off on Watto. So, you know. I feel like uh, Principal Skinner to Gato. Prove me wrong, Gato. Prove me wrong. <laughs> exactly. It is yeah. bang on the money. Also, one of the first things you've got uh, Dick Togo and Gato taking on ELP and Ishimori. So, you know, Bullet Club's oldest tag team taking on their cutest tag team, which is the what, shenanigans they get, they get up to there. But now we get on to a plane sitting apart from everybody else. And we fly over to the USA to talk about everything that's been going on over here on the side of New Japan. And, you know, that forbidden door has well and truly been kicked open because recently on AEW, we had three straight weeks of the IWGP US title being defended. You had uh, John Moxley successfully defending against Carl Anderson. You had a Texas Deathmatch rematch. Uh, the following week, get with Archer versus Moxley, where Archer regained the title that he lost from Moxley. And then... Well, he successfully defended it against Hikaleo uh, with Haku in his corner. Haku even got physical in the match. It made me sad that Jake Roberts wasn't there to get a Jake Roberts, you know, Haku face-off. But it's really, how weird is it going to see a company like AEW featuring their, not only featuring it, but defend, having their, having another company's title defended so frequently within like a span of three weeks. Because, you know, he had the AAA belt and the NWA women's belt defended but never with this much frequency yeah it was it, it was really quite high on it I was like because it did feel like New Japan and AEW had a kind of 
subtle understanding, but nothing too much. They had like that big Nagata Moxley match a while back, but it kind of feels like they've now really cemented the relationship. Mm-hmm. Three defenses in such a short succession, a big title change. The the Texas Death Match actually taking place in Texas, clever. <laughs> like that, like the all three of the matches were really good in their own merit. Um, you could argue the like, the Archer Hikuleo one. Hikuleo is still learning. He's still very early, and he looks pretty good in it. But Archer and Moxley, that was fucking beautiful. Uh-huh. Uh huh. The Carl Anderson one I really enjoyed. Uh, finished with like made sense, uh, but I think it could have went a couple minutes or so longer. But then it made sense. Then you have the rematch with Archer, very physical. It was the main event of the show, I believe. Uh, and the fact that Archer has to look up to Hikuleo, he's like three inches taller than Archer is, is amazing. But still managed to get him up for the blackout as well. Uh, I think they leaned into the last man standing element a bit more than they did last time uh, with the Texas death match. And so that also protected Moxley because you got him all caught up with the barbed wire uh, after he went for a similar like paradigm shift like finishing the tables that he did on Archer back in their previous match. So, you know, it's all coming full circle. And so he doesn't get offended. He still remains strong, but mostly it's a big feature in uh, AEW. And it felt like the, uh, as much as he, he probably enjoyed being a champion, it felt like it kind of, kind of was weighing him down as well, because obviously he wasn't always, be, he wasn't able, he wasn't always going to be there to defend it unless they had the match on AEW. So it was good that they got it on Archer, even though he's another AEW guy, he still got, uh, quite a bit of history in New Japan as a member of Killer Elite Squad. And uh, again, no rest for the US belt because uh, after defeating Hikuleo, he was challenged by Tanahashi for a resurgence. And they're building that matchup as a double main event. And, you know, if Tanahashi somehow wins this, he would join Jay White as a quadruple crown champion. Yeah, I mean, like the, like the potential history there. And I, I do like the fact that two things came at the back of that. We have that match set up for Tanahashi and Archer, but also Moxley mm-hmm. done a little promo, kind of calling out Tanahashi as well. So I, there's so many, there's so many exciting possibilities to come out of this. I, I just like, will Tanahashi win and then Moxley gets a match that way? Will Tana lose and still Moxley will still want to go at him? There, there's like these, they're, they're giving us dream matches. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like the, the the potential idea of Archer holding the belt and um, Suzuki deciding he wants to crack at it. Oh, yes, yes, give, give me that all day, all day. <laughs> some some people weren't really happy with. Some people thought uh, Tanashi was a bit condescending. I say the US belt had a charm to it, but I think that's personally reading a bit too much into it. Uh, and also, weirdly, that the, the kind of bitchiness and um and Moxley's voice. When he said, you know, when he was annoyed, uh, we talking about, you know, Tanahashi, you're dead to me, you know. Like, he wanted about all these contracts. He, they kept getting sent back to him because he wanted to go back to Japan to wrestle. But he will be on resurgence in LA, which we'll get to in a short while. But, you know, it's, you know the IWGP title is not the only belt being defended in uh, AEW from another company. You know, you got the Impact title being defended next week with the Good Brothers versus Dark Order. So, I might, I'd actually like to see what would happen if Dark Order somehow won the Impact tag belts. But being, and being of Impact, you know, Jay White showing up there, you can use an Impact to promote the upcoming match between him and David Finley for resurgence. We're also allowed them to grow the ranks of Bullet Club with uh, Chris Bay being welcomed into Bullet Club by Jay White. And they two were teaming together, the team against the Good Brothers. They've got a match, I believe, next week together against Finjuice on Impact TV. 
Uh, what do you think of uh, seeing Chris Bay as part of Bullet Club? I think Chris Bay is actually a really good fit for it. Plus, I'm I'm just sold purely in the fact that the tag team with him and Jay White can be called Beyblade. <laughs> nice, I like that. I'm totally <laughs> sold it. I'm totally sold that. If they come away with a finisher and you just hear Chris Bay shouting, "Let it rip!" I swear to God, <laughs> I will, you will hear me pop across the world. <laughs> also, like because he was in the Super J Cup before, and so also another potential junior heavyweight member of Bullet Club. Uh, which really helps shake things up, you know, him going in for best junior, best of super juniors, or seeing him like on switch, switch to the ELP Ishimori team, one of the two, swap them out for Chris Bay, would be an interesting matchup for freshening up the, the tag team ranks. So I, I have no issue there, and I'm enjoying the Forbidden Door. And also, they announced that they're going to have some New Japan representation at Bound for Glory in October, eh, October 24th, I believe, also in Las Vegas. So, and to see, you know, got Bullet Club involved, could we see G.O.D. going over, you know, as part of Bullet Club? You know, the, the possibilities are just endless here. They, they need to do G.O.D. at some point, because we need that G.O.D. Good Brothers match. We need the payoff there. 100%, I agree with that. Uh, but, being you know, with New Japan, New Japan strong has been, you know, well, going strong, for lack of a better term. Uh, filthy Tom Lawler retaining as a Open weight title against two vastly different opponents, some still fairly new in uh, Carl Fredericks and then El Veteran and Kojima uh, within a couple of weeks of each other. Uh, and uh, and uh, it seems in the backstage comments he was teasing a match between uh, himself and uh, Leo Rush uh, at some point. Whether that will happen at Resurgence, I don't know because uh, Leo Rush has said that he's cleared and he will meet his commitments for New Japan, but. Like we were discuss- they were discussing on Central. Does that mean he's cleared to finish his commitments and then retire, or is he he's not he's not retiring? So uh, cause, because he's cleared and he's just going to keep on and continue as Ross said to be the the new Terry Funk. <laughs> yeah, it's been that's been so much up in the air. But I think I've seen almost everyone mention that same thing as like, is Leo Rush actually retired or not? Can someone just give us a straight answer, please? Plus, like you'll say. And plus, I think I've seen the Leo Rush kind of challenge thing between him and Tom Lawler before. It was an that he was cleared because these things obviously very take far in advance. So I wasn't sure what the status was there. You know, you had the Never title and the US title already announced it. But the fact they haven't, I don't think, made any official confirmation at the time recording about who Tom Lawler's opponent will be, if it will be Leo Rush or somebody else, which is baffling because, you know, you think, given that, you know, that's the main belt of New Japan Strong, it's got the name Strong in the name. It's like being considered like the third most important belt being defended on that show. Yeah, I mean that's it's it, it feels like it, they need to have a match. They need to fit it in, mm-hmm. and there is space on the card on Resurgence so far. I think we've still got two or three matches to get confirmed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they said it's going to be around about seven or so matches for the card, so they've got some room in there. Leo Rush, I wouldn't be against him as a point. You know, he. Uh, he was in the initial tournament to crown the, the first champion, you know. But you know, if it's not him, the door's still open for uh, that rematch with Brody King. You know, give us it, you cowards! Oh God, yes, <laughs> violence, the glorious violence. Because uh, like it's all all has proven with every path to event that he was the right fit to be that first champion, and so also you want him to be featured prominently on Resurgence. Uh, but the other main thing going on in New Japan Strong was the Tag Team Turbulence Tournament, 
and speaking of violence, Brody King and Chris Singleton were unfortunately uh, defeated in the finals of that tournament by the Good Brothers. I think Good Brothers could be called as you know potential owners even when they were announced for the tournament, and they managed to walk away with the giant fisting trophies. Uh, and so, you know, I know, I think it was the right choice because even though they were these were taped before they won the Impact belts back, uh, New Japan is not get Impact not just gonna lend talent to people uh, if they're not gonna be made to look strong. So, you know, it made sense for these guys to win. I'm sure New Japan had big plans to put these guys back into the tag team title scene. Uh, we were hoping for it last year, it didn't happen, but I still think it's more likely this year. Good brothers for World Tag League. It has to happen. I mean, that's it. the one tag team turbulence. It, it sets them up for something big. They don't have tag belts in strong. Mm-hmm. It would be pointless to have them go through all that and win these trophies if it doesn't lead to some sort of payoff. Albeit we maybe have to wait for the payoff at the moment. But, you know, I, I don't mind the idea of, like, Good Brothers V's Techers or Naito and Sonata. There's plenty of options there. Yeah, and they've introduced some new, like, first teams through this tournament. You had Good Brothers, you had Violence Unlimited, you had uh, the West Coast Wrecking Crew was introduced here as well. You had some of the Young Lions teaming with each other. You could bring uh, some other, you got Ed Nagata and Kojima, another part of the situation. You could have them team together on a more regular basis, you know, along to help some of the younger guys along. You know, they've, you've, you've established some fresher, you know, options here for tag teams on New Japan Strong, and uh, along with that continue, but They've been announcing uh, tapings because we know that uh, August 14th has is resurgence, but uh, the, on the 16th they're going to do a set of tapings in LA. I'm assuming the same venue that they've been doing tapings up to this point. And uh, they've announced some big names for that. They've announced that Tanahashi and Ishii will be on those tapings. Yeah, I'm so excited about that. The, like, the potential there because Ishii could be used to really enhance some of the talent there, like the thought of like, for example, Ishii against Tom Waller. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. Ishii versus Buddy, Brutus versus Buddy Dickinson, Brody King, anybody basically with Ishii is money. And they're already advertising tickets being on sale for other tapings. Like they got a, they went, they've got tickets on sale for tapings September 25th and 26th in Texas for a taping called Autumn Attack and the 16th and 17th of October in Philadelphia for a taping called New Japan Showdown. Uh, and you were talking uh, about this before, um, uh, a few days before we recorded, but uh, these tapings do advertise Jay White. He's been advertised on more strong shows uh, as never openweight champion. Maybe that belt will be featured more often. Uh, so, And you were talking about how this maybe may throw some doubt into him being part of the G1. No J1 this year. I don't think there's going to be a J1 based on based on the taping dates and stuff like that and travel restrictions. I just don't see it happening. It's either a case of they change the card and White isn't in those tapings, or he's in, or or he's not in the G1, which then is a very very ooh unpredictable. Yeah. Basically, given that he won, he would eventually win the briefcase off the off the winner of last year's tournament last year. Uh, and I think you may be right because either it's fraudulent advertising and he's not going to be there even though he's on the, the image for it uh, or he's not in it because said, those September tapings were the 25th and 26th the G1 starts on the 18th of September and runs through uh, to a few days so hold on so yeah if he was on the September and October tapings he would not be able to be part of the G1 climates because 
the Z1 runs on the 18th of September until the 21st of October. So if he was going to be on both these strong teams, he wouldn't be able to do the G1 as well. Aye, that's it. It's there's there's no way around it. So I think watch your space. This is just purely speculation at the moment, but we will see what happens. We will see that indeed. Uh, but you know, maybe I'll give somebody else an opportunity to step up, uh, and I could do some good stuff with that. And uh, never a title in the meantime. So the last thing we're going to talk about is next week on the 14th of August. Uh, Next Saturday it is we're gonna have the we're gonna have the resurgence show on the LA Memorial Coliseum, big show, first New Japan of America show in front of fans in more than a year. And the lineup is looking very strong. Uh, going from the undercard upwards, you've got uh, Alex Coughlin taking on Carl Fredericks. Uh, there's a dark match apparently teased, but no participants have been announced. There's a six-man tag in Wheeler, Utah, Fred Rosser and Rocky Romero against Ren Narita, Clark Connors and TJP. You've got John Motsley and a mystery partner taking on the Good Brothers. You've got Moose taking on Tomohiro ECE. Oh, that gets me excited. And the Bill double main event of Jay White defending his never open weight title against David Finlay and Lance Archer defending the IWGP US title against Tanahashi. The Tanahashi matches build is going on last. Uh, what 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 area there gets you the most excited, there, Grant? I think it's uh, Moxley and the mystery partner against the machine gun and Doc Gallows, because we don't know who the mystery partner is. Um, I the one idea that came to me just based on uh, I'm an Instagram picture the same day, but Callahan it was was Sammy Callahan. He pointed out him and Moxley have kind of team together in the past mm-hmm. I think there's three really solid options to go here Callahan would be my preferred one I think is also the connection between those two in the past and also the fact that Callahan's still technically at war with the Good Brothers and Kenny and Impact uh, you got Eddie Kingston, you know, he and Moxley have been a team in AEW, they also kind of have issues with the Good Brothers as well and I don't think travel would allow it but it would be kind of funny if it happened Bring back Shooter. Shooter returns from his excursion to team with Moxley. See, this is the one that I really wanted, but unfortunately they have already shot that one down on the New Japan website. They shared it as a bit of news, and it was that due to travel restrictions, Shota Aumino cannot make resurgence. Damn it. Damn you all. That would have been the dream match for me. But to me, like uh, even, even the idea of, like, why not just bring Eddie Kingston? <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh, I mean, he's a big like fan of like Japanese. So I know he's a more he's thought that maybe he's more of an old Japan guy, but uh, I think it'll still be good to see him getting involved. Uh, it's gonna be solid, whoever it is, and it's good to see Moxley back in a new Japan ring. Moose versus Tomohiro Ishii, just the definition of big men slapping meat. You know, I know the size difference is gonna be something else, but you know. Somebody as fast as DC and as athletic for a big man as Moose is, that is match of the night written all over it. Yeah, I mean, there, there's no way that anyone can look at that and not say there's a potential huge match there because, like, Ishii missed our no neck against against mm-hmm. Moose. Like, that, that is going to... Oh, it's going to hurt. It's going to mm-hmm. be brutal. 100 percent. I don't see the the two title matches 
I don't. It's really hard to call a winner for that AC Moose match, you know, with everyone door and everything. Uh, these two title matches, I can't see the champ, either champion kind of losing. But you know, what a statement for Lance Archer it would be. You know, for him to you know, leave, start a last year to go AEW, come back as a IWGP US champion, and you know, beat Tanahashi and one of his first big matches back. Aye, that's it. there's so many. So many big things, and the fact we've still got matches to be confirmed. I, I'm just really excited for resurgence. Like, uh, if you'd asked me like a few months ago, big US, I'd be like, eh, eh, eh. but now I'm like, yes, yes, give me it. It's new, it's fresh, it's different. Yeah, uh, August in general for wrestling is gonna is just we're early into August. So it's gonna be special because you know you got the, the stuff going on in the in Japan. You got this. You got AEW launching Rampage, the potential debut of CM Punk on one of those Rampage shows. You got Impact Wrestling have got uh, next week, uh, not the weekend after this, have got uh, Emergence, their next Impact Plus special. Uh, you got SummerSlam TakeOver 36. August is just going to be fucking, for all, if you're a fan of just experience everything in wrestling, August is going to be the month for you. Hi, August is an unstoppable month. Mm-hmm. And I think the way we're gonna have to structure this show is, uh, I'm thinking, uh, we next time we record, we'll come to you sometime after uh, MetLife because you know there's gonna be a lot happening with Summer Struggle. We can talk about that. They're all the fallout of a uh, resurgence and MetLife Dome, and then by that point we can maybe we can all, we've also probably had the some announcement about the fight the participants for the G1. So then shortly after that we can do kind of a mini preview for the G1 and who we see as the favourites for that tournament. So I think we've got to uh, wait a little while before we come back to you again. But, you know, we're going to have a lot of talk about the next couple of episodes because we've got everything going on in August uh, next time. And then the episode after that, we've got the G1 and the G1, which we've listened to our past G1 special. You know there's a lot to, to condense into 90 minutes or so. Oh yes, we are. We are entering that ridiculously stacked last quarter of the calendar year where it's like, do we have enough time in the day to be able to keep up on top of all this? No. <laughs> <laughs> we don't. Uh, and, I, and we started to keep up, you know, end of last year and I was still unemployed at the end of last year when they were doing this stuff. Now I have a, a day job, so this is going to be even more difficult for me to get stuff out and like the way New Japan can be sold sometimes during tournament time to, you know, upload the English commentary versions of these tournaments, but at least the finals are always live. Uh, and also, I should mention about Resurgence, they've announced that uh, the artists formerly known as Aiden English will be on to uh, provide English commentary. I'm assuming alongside Kevin Kelly for Resurgence, so nice to see him doing commentary. I think he was fairly underrated when he did his time in commentary because he was kind of mainly... Featured on like likes of 205 Live or NXT UK, where not a lot of people got to hear how good he was. Yeah, it's going to be. I think that I think that's going to make a, a big addition to the commentary. It's going to be fun. And he has stepped back into the ring for an impact. So there's nothing to say he'll stay a commentator. He could step back into the ring. He's back in very seamlessly. You know, he's, he'd be an interesting gimmick. You know, the whole drama king for the uh, for <laughs> Japan. But you know, I'm not against it. But that is everything we've got to talk about uh, this latest episode of East Meets West. And, you know, we're around an hour and a half just past there. I think 
that's something you should get used to, or the next, like, well, basically the last half of the year, as Grant said, it says, proven to be a busy time of the year for Japan and for our monthly podcast, or a podcast that sometimes has to do twice a month, uh, then this is a, like hard to condense everything into a, a short amount of time. But thank you for staying with us. And if you haven't already, check out the past episodes of this show on our back catalogue. That's the place we you on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, any Android podcasting site, you get your podcast as well as past episodes of our feature shows. With uh, We've got SummerSlam 91 is our latest feature show. Next week, we're going to have a feature show on Seth Rollins. Uh, all past episodes of our uh, of uh, our new show, ESSR Central, our draft show, Saturday Draft Live, and our YouTube content with uh, Quiz Showdown 12 is out. Uh, we're recording uh, Quiz Showdown 13, Can You Feel the Heat, very soon, uh, which is going to be very much focused on SummerSlam, I believe. And uh, in a couple of weeks' time, the next episode of Book It, Pick Myself against Jack Graham, uh, TNA vs. WWE, June 2010 um, show will be something to behold, I can guarantee you that. So much content, Grant. We've almost got as much content as New Japan does at the minute. Yeah, absolutely ridiculous. This time for the for the podcast. Get involved. Get get listening. Get tweeting. Interact, mm. people. Yeah, I could not agree more. But until next time, from me, as our resident ass masters, we bid you a farewell. I am Jack Graham. I am Scott McLeod. And I'm David Hockney. And you can catch us hosting one of the greatest shows in the history of podcasts, Saturday Draft Live. You can tune in every Saturday to find out who on the ESSR has the best chance of winning the current season of our fantasy draft. As always, you can catch Saturday Draft Live on all good podcasting platforms. <laughs>